Well, hi, and welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than those in the world around us. And I'm Dan, here with the solo episode, and I want to spend some time to talk about Tim Keller. So some of you will know who Tim Keller is, that um, he was an author and a pastor in several places, but most famously in New York for a number of years, Um, wrote a lot of books, did a lot of speaking. He recently died and went home to be with the Lord just a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to talk about him because there are different people that I think it's worth us as believers looking up to and thanking God for. Um, we, we live in sort of a hero worship society. Most societies are hero worship society. And in the U.S., most of those that we experience hero worship with are actors and athletes and singers. Um, it's worth us as believers saying, all right, we have people that we don't idolize. We only worship the one true God, but we have people who still are heroes in the appropriate sense, people that we look up to, people that we thank God for, people that we take our cues for. And for me, Tim Keller definitely has been one of those. Over the past, I'm probably 20 years, my life was greatly impacted by his speaking and his teaching. And so I wanted to just talk a little bit about him, partly just to talk about what I appreciate about him, and then also partly for if some of you are not as familiar with him or, or not familiar with him at all, um, this might spur on you getting exposed to somebody that I think it's great to be exposed to with his writings and with his speaking. So I, I'm just going to talk about three things that I feel like um, Tim Keller really added to my life or enriched in my life with qualities that he had. And the first one is probably the quality that most people who know about Tim Keller associate with him and talk about with regard to him, and that's the word winsomeness. That he was very winsome, he was gentle, he was thoughtful, he was conciliatory, he he wanted people to have understanding, he talked to people who disagreed with him in a way that was still very respectful and that showed that he ultimately wanted to have a friendly relationship, um, talked to people in a non-combative way. And, and I think this was something that this is something that I think you see a lot more since Tim Keller. I, I don't remember seeing this a lot before Tim Keller. And I'm not saying that it wasn't present, but I think he was influential in helping people see the deep value of this, that there is a time to be more combative. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but overall, that there's a sense of I'm in a non-defensive way bringing the message of the gospel. Now, now Tim Keller, just like all of us, not perfect. Um, in fact, there were some things probably over the last three or four years that I thought he had some missteps on sort of how he talked about uh, issues related to critical race theory and maybe some of the the social justice things um, where I thought he was he was still trying to create a third way where where it wasn't appropriate. Um, third way, the whole idea of a third way is is kind of synonymous with Tim Keller that a lot of times he would look at different movements or maybe it would even be a political um, and, and he would talk about a third way, how Jesus way is not the Republican way or the Democratic way, that there's a third way and sort of not the conservative way or the liberal way. Um, the third way. And and that is so frequently true. You know, when, when you read the Gospels, Jesus often gets dragged into these debates where there are just two sides. And so whether it's the whole, um, do we pay taxes to Caesar or don't we, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing about the resurrection, Jesus is placed in this position where they're sort of like, are you here or are you here? And he frequently ends up almost answering a different question or rebuking the question itself or showing that his priority is different than either of the groups who are bickering. And I think Tim Keller did that really well and was really helpful in in a lot of ways with that. Um, I think wisdom is knowing 
the right principle to apply to the situation that you're in. And I do think there were some times that Tim Keller sort of applied the winsomeness and conciliatory principle where it wasn't appropriate. And I think I think those were missteps not in conviction and not in him compromising, but maybe just in in judgment. And I, I don't hold that deeply against him. Um, I look at him and say that this is a man that did so much and added so much to all of our lives. And so e- even if I'm right, and I think that, and, and there were some missteps um, in some of these areas, they weren't missteps of him compromising the gospel. They were maybe just missteps of, applying a principle to the wrong situation. And the principle that he was applying was so frequently the right one to apply. And I think so many of us, especially in personal relationships, that idea of winsomeness is something that we would do well with. It's not the principle for every single situation, but it's absolutely one frequently that is appropriate. And Tim Keller did that in a way that it was like, he was inviting all of us to know and love Jesus. And the way he talked, made it clear that that's what he wanted to have happen. So I, I so appreciate his winsomeness, first of all. Uh, the, the second one is related to it, but it's the idea of him having a non-defensive posture, especially towards non-Christians and towards critics. Um, he, he was able to hold the ground and talk about the gospel and talk about the claims of Christ and talk about what the Bible teaches, but in a way that he was clearly defending it but in a way that was non-threatened, in a way that was non-defensive in the way that we normally think it. It wasn't panicked. He wasn't panicky about people disagreeing with him. In fact, one of the valuable things that he would do is he would bring up objections that people have to certain Christian teachings or to Jesus or just to the exclusivity of Christ, and he would take them seriously. And sometimes he would even say to those of us who are believers, hey, we, we need to not let ourselves off the hook with this. We, we need to really dig into this question or this claim or this critique. So he was not threatened. He was solid in his convictions, but he was not threatened by the fact that there were people who disagreed. And one of the great benefits to this is that Tim Keller, in many ways, amongst the many things he was, had an evangelist heart. And so he was constantly trying to find ways to invite non-Christians into what was going on, whether it was through question and answer times, whether it was through his writings, or, or just to engage them. In fact, one of the things that I, I heard him say a number of times and influenced the way that I look to approach preaching is he said, you need to preach as if there are non-Christians listening, as if there are non-Christians there. And, and his claim was not that the entire sermon needs to be directed to the non-Christians that are there, but he said, if you talk as if there are no non-Christians there, pretty soon there won't be any non-Christians there because they'll realize they're not being talked to, they're, they're not sort of welcomed in as a part of things, and so they'll stop showing up, and people will stop inviting their non-Christian friends. But he said, if you talk as if non-Christians are there, even if in that particular setting there aren't any non-Christians there, they'll start showing up. Word will get out, people will start inviting their friends and say, I, I can invite my friend there because they'll be taken seriously, that they'll be acknowledged that they're wrestling with this or that they're dealing with this ob- objection. And I thought that was such a wonderful example of the whole idea of us recognizing what we want is for non-Christians to hear the gospel and to come to faith in Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing when you end up in a situation where you can where you can um, provide a setting, a non-threatened setting for that and show that the person talking has convictions, but that they're not panicky about those convictions. And the reason this worked and the reason that I think what what Keller did in this was ultimately so valuable, it wasn't pandering, it wasn't compromising, is because he would stand strong on this basic idea. And the basic idea is 
we are the ones who must adjust to God. We shouldn't be trying to get him to adjust to us. Um, I, I've read a number of books lately and, and heard a number of speakers lately that are, that are Christian speakers, um, and the posture that they take seems to be that if they're talking to non-Christians, just as Keller wanted to talk to non-Christians, that if they're talking to non-Christians, their basic message is, hey, you're mostly right about stuff. The church is largely wrong about a lot of stuff. You're mostly right about the things that you believe. And hey, why don't you just sort of come in and, and adjust a little bit, but see that where Jesus is, is, is kind of where you already are. And so if it comes to issues related to gender, if it comes to issues related to justice, or to race or to things like that. The basic message going out is, hey, you in, in your sort of secular mindset, you're mostly right. And, and we're sort of, in my opinion, flattering you by saying you're mostly right. Tim Keller did not do that. He was willing to talk simply and in, an, in a conciliatory way, but he made the case, we must adjust to God. I remember listening to a sermon where at one point he said, all right, if if we were to come to believe that there was an all-knowing, all-wise God of the universe, and here we are as finite, very limited creatures, wouldn't it surprise us if God didn't disagree with us on some things? We, we would be shocked if we found out, oh, in my very limited, finite mind, I ended up getting all of the answers right. We, we would just have to assume, no, surely I've got some of this wrong. Surely God knows things that I don't know. And yet when we encounter something in the Bible or in the gospel message, and we say, well, I disagree with this, sort of the next natural thing that we're thinking is, well, then it must be wrong. Instead of thinking, well, wait a second, if there's an all-wise God, I'm the one who needs to adjust. I, I'm the one who's fallen. I'm the one who's broken. I'm the one who's limited. I've only been here for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What, what do I know? And I think that the fact that he did that made the winsomeness and the non-defensiveness that much more valuable because within welcoming everyone in, he was still calling to repentance. He was still calling to adjustment. He wasn't trying to make God fit somebody else's worldview. He was calling us to adjust our worldview to God. And he did it in a way that he had some, uh, some sort of academic chops to him where he would quote Kierkegaard and he would quote, um, uh, apart from Kierkegaard, he would, he would quote famous atheists and engage with their arguments. We don't need to run from reason and we don't need to run from critics. We can solidly, in a non-defensive, non-threatened way, stand on solid ground and engage with the arguments and the critics against Christianity. And Keller was a wonderful example for this. And in a few minutes, I'll talk about even some resources that he has with this. And then the third thing I wanna talk about that I so appreciate about um, Tim Keller is his gospel-centered messages and preaching. Um, in fact, just earlier today, I was looking this up. I can't find it anywhere. I wish that I could. I, I don't know where we could find it, but um, probably like 15 years ago or, or maybe even um, longer than that, uh, I listened to um, a lecture series that was put on by Tim Keller and Ed Clowney, who now also is with the Lord, um, that they put on called Gospel-Centered Preaching. It was at Reformed Theological Seminary. I was searching. I can't find it anywhere. It, it, when I listened to it, it was on iTunes U when that was a thing for a while. It's not a thing. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they're somewhere out there and somebody can find them. But it, it, there were these amazing lectures that they talked, and they were teaching preachers, and they were talking to them about how we preach scripture, but we're always preaching Christ. 
we're, we're not just, all right, this passage is about morality, so Jesus doesn't really come into it, or the gospel doesn't really come into it. They, they talked about how we do this through the Old Testament, through the Psalms, through the prophets, through the law, through the gospels, through the New Testament, and how we make sure we're not following falling into a pattern where we're just calling people to sort of moral improvement, but that we're placing Jesus front and center and doing it in a way that's not forced it's not arbitrary and it's not just kind of shoehorned in there at the end, but it's really pointing toward the idea that Jesus is the hero of the biblical story. That deeply impacted me um, because it wasn't just sort of a, an idea. It was really laid out in a beautiful, clear way to show that when we're reading the Bible, we're reading a scene of a bigger story. So you might say, well, I'm reading in the Proverbs. This, this doesn't specifically have to do with proclaiming the idea that we're fallen sinners and that we need God's grace and we only get God's grace because of what Jesus has done for us and a sacrifice on the cross. And it's like, all right, that, that's true. That's not all spelled out. But ultimately, Proverbs is about God's wisdom and it's about us getting access to God's wisdom and how lost we are without God's wisdom. And then we get to John 1 and Jesus is the word of God and 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Jesus is the wisdom of God. God, and we tie it all in to Jesus being the only one who can truly save us because he is God's wisdom. So it's all tied together. Others have done this really well. I, Keller was not the first to do this, but at least for me, he was the first one that I heard do it in a way that really made sense. And I felt like I, I can do that. I can do that in my preaching. I can do that for the congregation that God has entrusted to, to my care. And I feel like it has so benefited me. Um, so once again, if, if, by the way, I, we, we always invite comments on these videos. If anybody has a way that you have found to get to those lectures, um, definitely leave it in the comments, um, not just so that others can find them, but because I want to find them and I want to listen through them again. Um, and, and here's what I want to do now after talking about those three things. I, I just want to talk about my five favorite Tim Keller books. He's written a lot. Um, I haven't read all of them, but I've read a, a whole bunch of them. And I just want to talk about the five um, that I like the best. And they're also recommendations for anybody listening because they're great books. Um, the first one is the, a book that he wrote alongside his wife, Kathy, called The Meaning of Marriage. This is, um, in my mind, maybe the best marriage book out there as far as the big picture of marriage. Um, it is a practical book, and it does get into sort of practical ways that husbands and wives live in unity, but it's much more big picture. And so this is a great book to read if you are single, if you're, if you're younger, if you're newly married, if you've been married for a long time. It's a rich book soaked in the gospel about the purpose of marriage, about the meaning of marriage. And then it also is deeply practical and helpful, as is true of all of um, Tim Keller's stuff. So it's a great book. It's actually, it's, it's the number one marriage book that we recommend um, on our recommended resources. Wonderful book. If you're not married, if you are married, if you might one day be married, you, if you know married people, you should read it. It's a great book. Um, second book that I'll talk about is his book, Counterfeit Gods. Um, th this, is, this is probably the book I've read the most from him. I've, I've read it over... Um, a handful of times. It's not very long, and it's, it's really focused on sex, power, and money, and how those are counterfeit gods, how those are fake gods in our culture that we end up giving ourselves to and sacrificing for. So again, it's, it's a very practical book, but a very theological book, because he's just getting deep into scripture and in the ways that money, power, and sex show up and end up being competitors with God. Um, it's a great book to read for young people, 
Great book to read for anyone. You're probably going to recognize yourself in this book because either sex, money, or power, or all three of them are playing a part in your life and are competitors to God getting our full and true and joyful worship. Um, third book I'll talk about is his book, Making Sense of God. Um, now, it, the the book that, as far as I as far as I know, the book that really put him on the map was his book, The Reason for God. Making Sense of God came later, and it's a similar book. You, you could say it's an apologetic book, uh, or, or it's a book that sort of is going through um, common objections to Christianity and, and talking them through. Uh, Keller even talked about making sense of God, and I, I think he even felt like it was a little bit superior to The Reason for God. Reason for God is great, nothing wrong with that. I think making sense of God is is even better. In fact, it's one that I've recommended to people, um, either if they're saying, hey, my, my non, non-Christian friend is willing to read a book, what should I tell them to read? I say, making sense of God. Um, I've, I've, at one point, I gave it to somebody who was not hostile to Christianity, but was dealing with doubts, and it was profoundly helpful to him. So, And, and if you're a Christian, it will be profoundly helpful to you. So Making Sense uh, of God, wonderful book. Um, the fourth book I want to talk about is his book, Every Good Endeavor. And the reason why this is so great is because I haven't encountered a lot of books on this subject, but it's really about work and about a Christian attitude towards work and calling and vocation. And just, you know, I, I, I've always bristled at the idea that for, for somebody like me who is a pastor, people are like, well, well, you had a calling. I'm like, I... Yeah, in the sense that I felt like God through his spirit led me to certain decisions that ended up with me being a pastor, but all of us have a calling. And some of those are going to be mean that we're paid to do stuff that is considered more directly to be the work of the church and the work of ministry, but all of us have a calling and our work is meant to be an outflow of that and not something separate to that calling. So it's a wonderful book on this. Um, I, I would say that this is good for anyone, especially if you're not a pastor, you're not sort of in vocational ministry, and you're you're looking to find more meaning in your work because it kind of feels like just a job, or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're kind of like, this, this feels like I'm just kind of doing stuff that there's not sort of some deeper transcendent meaning, and should I be somewhere being a missionary or should I be somewhere being a pastor? And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's calling you to that, but much more likely he is calling you to lean into the vocation that he's called you to and every good endeavor Wonderful book on that. Again, for anyone, um, I'd say especially like if, if somebody's finishing college or somebody's at some sort of crossroad, wonderful book on that. Um, and then the fifth book that I'll talk about that I love from Tim Keller is his book that's just called Preaching. Um, I can't find those lectures that he and Ed Clowney did, but his book on preaching brings out a lot of those same themes. Um, and, and there's a small group of men uh, who are a part of our church that teach at the men's Wednesday night Bible study. And we frequently as a group will go through different books on preaching and teaching. We went through that one. And, and I would say of all the ones we did, that was probably the one with the most positive response from the men who went through. And a lot of the gospel-centered stuff is, is steeped in there. Um, there's other great books. Some of you might be like, how in the world did you not talk about Reason for God or Prodigal God? Those are great books. I've read them too. They're, they're all wonderful. Read them all. Uh, but I wanted to highlight those five because those are five that I find myself coming back to and find that they had a really profound impact on me. Um, I thank God for Tim Keller and for his life. I thank God for his faithfulness toward the end. I thank God for the story that he told through Tim and Kathy and their marriage and their faithfulness to each other and the way that they walked through the end of Tim's life. And I thank God that his story is not over because he is now at rest with the Lord 
and he's awaiting his final resurrection and final reward. And it's valuable for us as believers to have people that we don't idolize, that we can still disagree with and still find fault in when it's appropriate, but that we look at and say, that's what I'm aiming for. That, that, that's what I'm shooting for. That's somebody who, who led the kind of life that I'd like to live to experience that kind of faithfulness toward God. So if you're not aware of Tim Keller, check out the resources I talked about. You'll be glad that you did. Um, and thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this um, to this episode. I hope that it was helpful. I hope that it was thought-provoking. Um, I'm always inviting you comment, bring questions, bring thoughts, feedback on these episodes, um, because you can find all the episodes of The Christian Contrast either on our YouTube channel, just for Life Bible Fellowship Church, or on our church webpage, lbf.church, and just find the resources. You can find all of the past episodes there. We come up with a new episode of The Christian Contrast every two weeks, and so I'll be back with you again two weeks from now with a new episode. Until then, thanks so much for taking the time to listen. God bless, and we'll see you next time.